Good morning, everyone. Everyone's our first reading from Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet, uh, one who spoke great hope to people, is doing that in our first reading. Isaiah is speaking to a people, uh, in particular in Jerusalem. It was one of the lowest points in history for Jerusalem. They had been decimated, and they had been in exile. And what was true of the city of Jerusalem was true of the whole nation of Israel. And it was pretty much their own of their own making. They made their decisions, and God allowed them to suffer the consequences of their decisions. But the prophet goes on to say, the time is coming when it will be made new again. And you guys, meaning the people and God, it would be like newlyweds, all dewy and sparkly and in love and happy, happy time. And they needed that, but it was the truth, but they needed to hear that. And Isaiah's understanding of that new time, that new covenant, is when Jesus, the Messiah, would arrive. And that is how we see it from the Christian perspective on, on the Old Testament. And my friends, this account in John's gospel, remember John uses lots of symbolism and lots of uh, allegories. And, uh, uh, but in this account that we see, it's safe to say that most of, if not all of us, know what it's like to feel embarrassed. You see, what's about to happen for them to run out of wine at this event, and the whole town would have been here, would have caused scorn and embarrassment to this family. And if nothing else, all of us at some point can understand what it is to be embarrassed, either by something that happens of our own making or something that just happens. It's not a pleasant thing. The account that we heard of in today's gospel took place because a young couple Newly married, we're about to find themselves and their families in a very embarrassing situation that would bring scorn to them and their families. The wine running out at their wedding feast would have been a devastating thing for them. Mary notices. We're not told how she knows, but she notices. Mary felt compassion for them, and she went quietly to her son, Jesus, and told him of the situation. Jesus gives a sharp response to her. His plans, meaning his public ministry, that's what's going on here, were a matter between him and his Father in heaven. And basically is what he's telling her, stay out of it. Now, <laughs> Jewish mothers, we are told, get their way. <laughs> that's what I've heard about Jewish moms. Uh, knowing Jewish people, Moms get their way. And Mary knew the heart of her son. So she gave advice to the servants to do whatever her son says to do. Five words. Five words of advice. Do what he tells you to do. That's a good mom. That's good advice. They did exactly that. And the result, John tells us, was that Jesus revealed his glory. His glory. Now, uh, we can and should ponder what John means when he tells us that Jesus revealed his glory. Because we know certainly that Jesus gave glory to his Father in heaven all the time and pointed to him every moment he had. So there's a lot more being communicated here by John to us. John's gospel is very symbolic, and much of the symbolism, uh, believe it or not, is rooted in Old Testament understandings. 
For instance, glory. That word is a reference in this case found in the 19th chapter of the book of Exodus. There, Yahweh, as they understood him, we know him as God the Father, revealed his glory in thunder and lightning and fire on Mount Sinai on the occasion of him giving to Moses the Decalogue, what we know as the Ten Commandments. That is how God revealed his glory at that time, in that moment, to his elected one, Moses. So I wonder, is John telling us that we are standing on the new Mount Sinai, that the glory of God is being revealed once again in Jesus? And the difference between those two events is as great as the difference between water and wine. Water is essential for survival, but wine brings joy and celebration. And some of you celebrate a little too much. Water sustains life. Wine enriches it. The wine of Cana symbolizes the new covenant of Jesus Christ. The new precepts that were given by Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is God. He gave a homily known as the Beatitudes. He gave a sermon on the mount. And he told us what was close to his heart. They were not commandments. They were not even precepts. They were what mattered to him. Then he spoke about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we read in the second reading that will enrich the lives of his disciples. And my friends, as we reflect then upon um, this ordinary day in the life of Jesus of Nazareth that had these extraordinary effects, we should ponder about Mary and Jesus about their care and their compassion for a young, newly married couple in a very special way. And how at the same time, something new was revealed about God's relationship with humanity. So we might ask ourselves then, have we actually drank meaningfully from the wine of the new covenant? Or are you surviving on the water of the old? Is one satisfied with the Ten Commandments? Seriously, the words of Jesus about being angry in your heart against people. Do you still want an eye for an eye, which is Old Testament? Or have you heard the words of our Lord about forgiving 70 times 7? Do we bring life to people we live and work with, or you drain the life out of them? with your selfishness and your egotism? Are we waiting for someone else to make the first move to do the right thing? Or do we make the move ourselves, which is risky often? Do we encourage others or do we completely needlessly compete with them? If we do in believe that we have moved beyond the water of the old law, then there is in today's second reading a challenge to us further. Are we aware of the abilities and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we have all received for helping others and for building up 
the church of Christ here on earth? What gifts of the Spirit do we actually utilize in service to others and to our local faith community? Are we still coming to church with the mentality of taking only what we need? Or even worse, just fulfilling an obligation. And even worse, to be entertained by the pastor. At Cana, Jesus changed water into wine and revealed his glory. Today, he challenges us to ask, is the water of our lives being changed into wine? Is the glory of God being revealed by our lives lived in compassion and truth and justice and willingness to forgive, lived in joy, lived in hope that we bring to the everyday tasks of our daily life that may enrich those around us? These two are places where the glory of God can show itself. Often we cannot choose the events that cross our paths or the issues we find ourselves involved in, often not of our own doings. Jesus came to this wedding and there he encountered a need. We are called to follow the Lord, not in the places of our own choosing, but here and now, in this place, in this time, and in this community. Here and now is the path with which we will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Cana reminds us that great things can happen in any place and in every place. Jesus can change water into wine. Wine into his precious blood. If he can do these things, can he not change our pasts so that our future is filled with hope and joy? Can he not change what we consider to be our little abilities into great gifts that give his Father glory and build up his church here on earth? Small places like Cana turn into places of abundant grace. In the celebration of the Eucharist, Christ can give us the power of his grace to change all things and transform us. Here he can make the ordinary things of our life into places of extraordinary grace. Jesus still transforms and changes water into wine and so much more. My friends, I do want to speak a little bit more about Mary. Mary was there at the incarnation. Her yes, her faithfulness to God permitted this to be. Your will be done, Father. She was there at the beginning then of Jesus' public ministry. Son, they need wine. You do what you want. She was there when they told him, come collect your son, he is crazy. 
And she was there when they did that to him. She was there in the beginning of his ministry, and she was there at the end of his earthly ministry. She was there when he entered into this world in human form, and she was there when he left this world in human form. So she was there throughout all of his ministry. Now she is in heaven with him, sharing his glory. Would she then not be powerful in intercessory prayer for us before her son? Look what she did when she was on earth. Son, do what you're going to do. Whatever that is, I have a good idea. <laughs> My sense of humor about that. My friends, I am your pastor and I love you. About a month and a half ago, I gave a homily about what does love ask of you to do in a situation so when you don't know what to do or when your heart is angry or confused or bitter uh, and you don't know what to do uh, about something, remember I gave a homily and I said, ask yourself, what does love require of me to do? As your shepherd in this community, I'm asking those to suspend all of their fine sensibilities in politics and all the other things regarding the virus. I do not bend the knee to the president. I do not bend the knee to the governor. My allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And while I may not always agree with all of the decisions of our magistrates and the church's magisterium, I am obedient to the church's magisterium. Why? Because Christ asked me to do so. And there is also a foe who watches constantly, Satan. He watches to see if we will be disobedient. He doesn't care the reasons why. So I ask you, what does love require of you in this time regarding the virus? But you must ask yourself that question. And the answer is already in your heart. And I would tell you, then do what your heart tells you to do in this event. My friends, uh, in addition to, I just came back from San Diego from the priest conference, and they have a funny term, they call it crons. And for a while there I said, are you talking about crones? <laughs> no, crons. But in addition to that, now we have just your run-of-the-mill cold and the every perennial flu and now apparently a stomach bug. <laughs> My friends, you are baptized Christians. You have been given a spirit of courage, not of fear. But you also have been made wise. So do not be ignorant about things. Think about it. And then in the end, ask yourselves, what does love require of me in this situation? My friends, uh, by no means are you to take my words about I don't bend a knee to the president or any president as being disrespectful. That's not what I mean by that. My friends, I believe I am not the smartest person in the world. Uh, certainly not in our community either, for that matter, according to my professors in the seminary. Uh, but... Um, I believe when this whole thing is over with, the pandemic, the world will look back 
And it will not be the economic and financial and physical damage, but it will be the emotional and spiritual damage that this did, that is going to be with us for a long time. And what is intolerable for me as your pastor is for our community to be pitted against each other and to fight. It's intolerable. Do not give dirty looks to those who are next to you, whether they're wearing a mask or not. That is of Satan. He loves this and desires it. So do not give him what he desires. Let us be wise and smart, and let us have the heart and mind of Christ always on us. All right? We will move through this. We will. You will see. Uh, and then we will celebrate with wine. <laughs>